Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we are continuing and closing out our series, our October series, on the horrors of collectivism. Um, it being, you know, a Halloween theme for, for the month of October, I can't think of anything more frightening than the, the atrocities and the catastrophes that have transpired all in the name of human progress and uh, in the common collective good, the greater good. And that's a thing we're going to be continuing uh, this week with probably the worst case, the most extreme case of of what of how ugly collectivism can be and how ugly it can look like when left unchecked. If you have been listening to this um, if you have been listening to this series throughout the month, we started with with Venezuela as the most recent illustration of how uh, wrongly and how poorly, collectivism is implemented and even today it doesn't matter how many times it's been tried every single time they always say well that was just that that wasn't real socialism or that wasn't real fill in the blank whatever it could be every single time it always fails and that is only the most recent and most modern case of of that example um and then last week we went back into our own history and touched on some some uh, some roots closer to home here with the early American progressive era and how some some of the the evils honestly I, I truly believe that some of the things that transpired there during that time frame with the things that we touched on with the eugenics movement and uh, in uh, with how racism in America had kind of a rebound during the progressive era um, and how even it, it it solidified and it gave rise and power it emboldened um, many of, of the ideas of those individuals who would eventually uh, become leaders in the Third Reich, including Hitler himself as well as his chief propagandist Joseph Goebbels those those ideas many of them had roots in the American progressive era but as you can tell that was about the closest we even we even touched on something like Hitler most people Hitler is an is an obvious choice and that's something that we might get into in the next year or the year prior um, but most people already know about about Hitler most people already know about the horrors that transpired under his regime. There's no need to really reiterate that. I want to touch on the things that people either gloss over, uh, willingly forget, or just have had no idea about throughout history. Like I'm sure many of you last week had no idea about some of the things that that occurred by by the uh, the hands or the minds of. Even American presidents like Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, um, and and that's what we're trying to do, and that's what we're trying to uncover with this series is that it's not just the Nazis. It's, it it's it goes much deeper and much further than that. Well, in this episode, I want to touch on the greatest, most extreme 
case of collectivism and the most ugly case of collectivism that the world has ever seen and how disastrous it can truly get. You know, most people, whenever you think of some of the the greatest or the most brutal uh, regimes in history, Hitler immediately comes to mind. That one's obvious. Like I said, that one's obvious. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, though, why that one's so obvious. I mean, it kind of does. I, I, I do kind of understand it um, from, from, a, from a realistic standpoint. Uh, one, just being the education system is incredibly skewed. And we have, for the most part, denounced Nazis throughout all, all areas of American life. We have denounced Nazis. What we haven't done throughout all areas of American life and all areas of American industries, primarily the uh, institution of, of education, we haven't uh, denounced uh, those, those areas of true evil collectivism on the left like socialism and communism. And that is why I believe uh, Hitler is seen as the, the greatest mass murderer in human history. That's not the case. Another another uh, part of that is because we actually fought against him. We were we were at war with him. Uh, part of me believes that you know if we never went to war with Germany during World War II, then probably a lot less people would know about the atrocities that he had committed during World War II throughout the uh, through the uh, through the Holocaust. Something that's much less known is uh, just a little bit less known, not, not as much as Hitler, but, but certainly some people still know about it, is that with Stalin and uh, the Soviet Union. But I don't even want to dig into him on this edition, on, uh, on this year's series of collectivism, The Horrors of Collectivism, because I want to illustrate somebody who went even above and beyond Joseph Stalin, who at his time, before he died, he was the greatest mass murderer in human history, even more than Hitler. But Stalin pales in comparison to Chairman Mao Zedong of China, who by himself, under his regime, led to the deaths of more people in one regime, one era of history, more people died under his watch than what most people die throughout the, the lifespan of an entire war, even a world war. More people died under the watch of Chairman Mao. That is frightening. That is terrifying. What exactly happened? Well, that is what we're going to go into on this episode. This is The Horrors of China's Great Famine. First of all, our story starts uh, just shortly after shortly after the Second World War, uh, and uh, the Cold War was just beginning to brew. And Chairman Mao was sort of in the shadow of Stalin. It was very hard. Stalin was at the top of the world after the end of the war. This is the Soviet Union versus the United States of America, these were the two great superpowers across the world. This is something that, uh, if you listen to our other show, The Bigger Picture, I touched on a few weeks ago, 
and in a really incredible story uh, touching on a, a, a situation in the Cold War of just how close we came to nuclear annihilation. But to understand that, that we, if it weren't for the Soviet Union, we would have been the greatest superpower in the world. Well, Mao was under the wing of Stalin at, at the time. That is until he died. When Stalin died, Mao felt liberated in, in, a, in, a, in a way. He felt, he felt very free to pursue his own interests because, you see, in the Soviet Union, Mao thought Stalin was doing communism sort of an injustice. He thought that... <laughs> it's, it's funny, this is how... This is how uh, it always goes, is that he thought that he wasn't doing socialism or communism justice. He thought that uh, what was going on in the Soviet Union wasn't real communism. It wasn't true to the ideas of Marx. Uh, Mao was a Marx enthusiast. He was a revolutionary, and he sought to bring the Marxist utopia into China by his rule, by his, uh, by his ideology, because he had the right answer. Now, Mao was a very, very intelligent individual, and he was a very cunning and manipulative individual. He was certainly not one to double-cross, but as long as Stalin was alive, he was constantly under his, his wing, under his shadow. Once he died, once Stalin died, he was free to pursue the interests that he wanted for the people of China. Now, how he did that was through sort of, and and what uh, what he wanted was certainly atrocious in and of itself. But even the results of it were a massive catastrophe that not even the likes, surely not even the likes of of Mao could have foreseen something this grave happening. Now, this, this story occurs in sort of four phases. First of all, it, uh, this, is, this part would be considered the rise of, of Chairman Mao and how he acquired power. And, um, and then we are going to go into the, the, the control portion of how the, the party seized uh, total obedience to the ideology of the communist uh, utopia. The communist uh, fantasy, if you will. Then the famine strikes. And then the country begins to decline. But first the rise. Because of Stalin's death, Mao went back to China and he saw it. It was his vision. It was his destiny to perfect and fine-tune communism under the party. It's, it's sort of Orwellian. Uh, to think about it in in the terms. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if George Orwell looked out uh, after he had written 1984 and looked what was happening in in China, thinking, "My God, this is exactly what happens in, or at least for the most part, it it it's exactly what happens in 1984, um, especially when it comes to the party and things like that." Um, it's it's very ominous. Uh, everything was centered around not necessarily the chairman. It wasn't necessarily centered around Mao, but it was centered around the ideas of communism. 
And because it was centered around the ideas of communism, by default, um, it was centered around Mao because he was the one who was bringing it forward. He rejected this idea of the cult of personality that really, that really formed around Stalin. It was more about Stalin, really, than it was um, about the ideas of communism or uh, about uh, about Marx, about the ideas that Marx had brought forward. Well, Mao wanted to do away with that. He wanted to ensure that the workers of the world truly united and brought forth a a wonderful classless society of a communist Marxist utopia. He sought to do that by using the policies in two ways that led to the slaughter of millions. One was called the uh, one was a policy one was through a series of policies called the Great Leap Forward. And the second was called um, the Cultural Revolution. Ironically enough, after rising to uh, after Mao rose to power, the the cult of personality he sought to end uh, under under Stalin and the Soviet Union that he sought to kind of do away with in China, well, that became more or less inevitable under Chairman Mao because Chairman Mao was the only one who could actually bring about this communist society. Any dissenters, any newspapers and media, well, things were quickly becoming dark and ominous for them. Because if you dare speak out against Chairman Mao, if you dare speak out against the party, well, you are speaking out against the country. You are speaking out against the progress and the success of the socialist vision that Mao had laid out. You are, therefore, enemies of the state. You had targets on your back as soon as you said anything negative about the way that um, about the way that the the policies of Mao were turning out to be. They were driven into submission through fear. To criticize Mao, they justified was to criticize the party, thus putting the success of China in jeopardy. Any newspaper uh, editor, any any columnist, anybody who had an opinion and a, and a microphone, a megaphone to speak out, they were labeled enemies of the state. This only foreshadows the worst to come. Now, in the control portion, it only gets darker. Mao's methods quickly turned brutal. To ensure the success, everyone had to be on board. Thus, anyone who was not on board was quickly purged from the ranks within his own government. He only demanded the most loyal of supporters to be surrounded by him. That is how you would gain political um, expediency. That is how you gain political security, is through your loyalty to the chairman. Because if you were loyal to the chairman, well, then you were loyal to communism. You were loyal to socialism. You were loyal to the ideas of the Marxist utopia. You see, Mao didn't think of himself as this demigod. He thought of himself as the one who 
was just merely making sure that everything was working properly. Mao's methods were a little bit different from Hitler or Stalin. He, he used a few examples, but for the most part, he didn't need to line people up uh, on a firing squad to execute them. Sure, he used a few examples, but for the most part, he, he didn't need uh, gas chambers or gulags to do what he needed to do. No, he mostly turned the people against one another. He broke their spirit. He made them desperate. And then he turned them. That is when he destroyed their humanity through the famine. Mao's revolutionary policy to achieve communism, as I had said before, was uh, called the Great Leap Forward. The reality of this is the policy was the exact inverse of the, uh, of the intended results, what actually happened. And it was no Great Leap Forward, but in fact, the greatest step backwards in human history. It was based in agriculture, you see. It was uh, China is obviously a, a very agriculture-based society, or at least especially it was in the uh, 1950s, in attempting to out, uh, outplace the United States as much as possible in growing their GDP. Now here, here is a valuable economic lesson. The government only cared about how much was being produced, not necessarily the value of what was being produced. You see, that's only something, that's something that government cannot possibly measure. Only individuals, only people living in the living marketplace can possibly measure this. And this is only one of many, many examples why, uh, why collectivism and centralized power, top-down power, why it can never work. This is why command economies can never, ever work, because governments can't possibly know what the market demand is, and they cannot possibly um, live up to the expectations that it has, even if they do know what it is. But that's for uh, another topic here. I don't want to get too much off, off, off topic. People were seen at this point as merely, quote, digits. A means to an end, if you will. Seen as merely digits by the government. Their humanity was stripped from them. They were just, at this point, they were just a part of the collective. They were just a, a laborer or um, a, a body to be thrown into the farm fields. Because production was maximized without individual value, without individual uh, value being maximized at the same time, famine thus ensued. Millions began starving, but Mao saw this as the need to double down on the very policies that created this situation in the first place. One in three homes were destroyed during the Great Leap Forward to provide fertilizer for the farms. People's humanity, gone, destroyed. They were no longer individuals. They were merely a part of the collective that had no greater value than what was already 
for the common good, for the greater good. The greatest good was to provide for society. That was the centralized figure, and ultimately at the center of society was Chairman Mao. Because of this, and people started stopped because they stopped seeing their humanity within themselves, and this is why groups. This is again, I can I can go off here uh, on a side tangent. This is why groups don't have rights, families don't have rights, individuals have rights, and only individuals. When you don't know, when you don't see that you yourself have a right to this or that or uh, to to freedom of speech, to defend yourself, to the to the fruits of your own labor. When you don't have those kind of rights, then you don't see anyone else does. You begin looking at your fellow man not as people, not as individuals, but as merely animals. And your your um, needs are greater than theirs at that point. During Mao's Cultural Revolution, after the great, great success of the Great Leap Forward, which, yes, that is obviously sarcasm, agents of the state and citizens alike worked to purge the dissenters. Dissenters were tortured, beaten, raped, killed, and, get this, and yes, even eaten by fellow Chinamen. China expert Frank Decoder, uh, who is the author of a, a book I'm currently reading on Mao's, uh, Mao's Great China called just that, Mao's Great China, or excuse me, Mao's Great Famine, uh, said there were several dozen cases of ritual cannibalism. It was not just eliminating your class enemy, no, but devouring them. Cannibalism raged through the countryside. In some ways, it was seen as payback against those who had more than you, or uh, it was a, a, a very vicious and ugly form of class warfare. And in other ways, it was just meant to stay alive. That was your only way to live. Obviously, many, many Chinamen ended up going insane under Mao. Literally going insane. And finally, the fall. Under Mao's brutal regime, estimates range from 45 million people to 60 million people died during the Great Leap Forward in the Cultural Revolution. Just a little perspective here. 55 million people died in World War II. More people, or just as many people, died under one man's regime trying to implement the most pure form of communism as he saw fit. One man's regime killed more people than global war. That is astounding. They were beaten, tortured, starved, killed, and eaten by their fellow man under Chairman Mao. Mao resulted in the worst human catastrophe in human history. Much more than Stalin, much more than Hitler, 
much more than anything that the uh, that the Kims have done in North Korea. This is the greatest genocide in human history, and yet not very pe- that uh, not very many people know about it. Why is that? We are very quick to turn to the Nazis and say, "Well, will you look at that? Nazis are bad. Look how many people they killed. Look at look at uh, how." How much they hated people and how much they uh, how racist they were but for some reason only if you hate people because they were Jewish or because they were black and that leads to the genocide of 11 million people that is for that is worthy of condemnation and rightfully so <laughs> mind you we just did a whole episode uh, last week on on the roots of that condemning it why is it, though, that on in the same breath, it is not as equally immoral and abhorrent and disgusting when you're talking about a genocidal maniac who just happens to be a communist, who instead of turning on races, they turned on classes. The whole purpose of the Great Leap Forward in the Cultural Revolution was to purge and eliminate the middle class in Chinese society because the middle class was in fact that was that was the great stepping stone if you could make it to the middle class then yeah you could go back down to poor but you could also if if you really wanted to you could also um, reach your wildest dreams of riches that was seen as 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 great wealth it was seen as the enemy of the working class why is it that when when you're talking about class warfare, then obviously that's not that bad. That's that's you know we can look at, we can look over that despite it doubling, if not tripling, Hitler's death toll, Hitler's body count during the Second World War. The purpose of this series, the purpose of the series uh, that we have that we have done over the past three weeks now. Uh, and that we will be doing every October from now on. The purpose of it is not to point blame at either communists, at socialists, at Nazis, at progressives, at racists. It's not to do any of that. It's to highlight that they are all part of the same system. Because this the battle between Nazis and communists, the battle between, um, you know, progressives and uh, and and the Soviet Union, you know, American progressives and the Soviet Union, or or Nazis or whatever it is, all those things are they're just people looking for power. They're people searching for control. The true battle. They, they're just fighting over who really wants to be in charge. That's not the real battle. The true battle is between the collective and the individual. How did Mao achieve the death of up to 60 million people in just four years? Now, yeah, a lot, a lot more people died um, over the entire span of his regime, but the, but the, the blunt of the deaths that occurred during the famine of the Great Leap Forward, that was only in a four-year time frame. 
How did Mao achieve something that atrocious in such a short amount of time? He stripped them of their humanity. He stripped them of their individualism. He made people turn on one another. Because if I'm not an individual, if I don't have rights, how can you possibly expect me to respect your rights when I just want to live at the end of the day? When I just want to feed myself? None of us have any food, and if I have to kill you and eat the meat from your bones, then that's what I'm going to do. He, that's what stripping, that is quite literally the ugliest form and the most horrific form of collectivism. But how is that any different than Hitler? How is what Mao did when he stripped them of their humanity? How is that any different from what Hitler did when he stripped the Jews of their humanity? Or what those in the Deep South did during slavery, when, he, when, when they stripped blacks of their humanity. How is that any different than individuals who, like last week, when Oliver Wendell Holmes said, three generations of imbeciles, that's far enough. I'm pretty sure that's just as, as evil as what transpired under Mao. Your rights are inherent in your humanity. That's something that I've said countless times over and over and over and over and over again your rights are inherent in you when you strip away those rights from the individual and you start placing them in the hands of society when you start putting anything except when you start putting your rights saying that that certain groups have rights when you start saying that families have rights now families are important institutions but families don't have rights. Only individuals have rights. When you take that away, you take away their humanity. And when you take away their humanity, there is nothing left for people to fight for. There's nothing left for people to live for. When you take away their humanity, the worst in their humanity comes out. We are all capable of evil. We are all capable of tremendous good. Where is the line? How can we possibly know the difference between right and wrong? How can we possibly know what we are doing is right and what they are doing is wrong? When they have very good intentions, they just want all of society to be happy. They just want all of society to be, to be prosperous. It always results, it always boils down to the rights of the individual. If you can't protect that, then there is absolutely nothing that you can protect. Now, not everything is going to end up like Mao. Not everything is going to end up like China, obviously, because there's only been one case of that so far, even though there have been countless genocides in history. None have been as brutal or as extreme as Mao's. But that's not to say that tremendous evil cannot happen. That's not to say that neighbors and family and friends can turn on one another because you forget your humanity. You, you forget your individuality. That ultimately is the most frightening thing that anybody could ever do. That is the purpose of this series for October. I mean, yeah, we're playing on, <laughs> we're playing on the Halloween theme a little bit. We're, you know, it's, it, but 
in all seriousness, that is the most terrifying thing that mankind has ever conceived of. Mankind as a collective, there is no there 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 is no rights in man. Men have rights. Man doesn't. When you strip that away from men, when you strip rights away from men, and you put them at the heart of the, of the society, of the collective, then the most atrocious and evil things that could possibly transpire have the possibility of rising up, and you will be more sorry than ever that you allowed your humanity to be taken away for the sake of the collective. That's our show for this week, <laughs> and that closes out our series here on the Liberty about the horrors of collectivism. We're going to have a lot more. We're going to have a lot more of that um, next year, obviously, and this is not the only time that we're going to talk about these kind of things, obviously, but this is uh, the the primary-themed uh, series for that, uh, to, to talk about that kind of stuff and to dive into some of the history behind that. Quick programming note, next week, uh, like I said, this is something that we've been we've been teasing for a long time, but now it's finally about to happen. Next week is a very big week for us here on the show, because next week is the next interview here on the show, and that next interview is with Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report. He's going to be, he's probably the biggest uh, guest that we've had on the program so far, and I'm very excited for you to listen. I'm very excited for you to get some insight into what he has to say um, and some of your feedback about about what you think of, of the show, of that show specifically. Um, so be sure whenever it goes out, be sure to share it with your friends, um, anybody who you know that might uh, like Dave and what he does. He does a fantastic, fantastic program. And uh, I only I only hope to be as as gifted as as he is when it comes to actually sitting people down and having conversations. Um, that's something I envisioned about doing, and and he was part of an inspiration of sorts for this show. So I was very happy to to bring him on and talk about some things, including um, free speech, classical liberalism, and Star Wars. So if that if that perks your ears a little bit. Uh, tune in next week and listen to our interview here on the Liberty with Dave Rubin. But until then, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. Uh, be sure to follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. Be sure to follow the show at the Liberty on Twitter. And until next week, happy Halloween, and we'll see you. <laughs>